All right. So uh, we're continuing our study of angels today. This is actually going to be our last lesson on angels. And uh, you know this is a short quarter. Uh, it's just June and July, and then in August, I guess we're going to be lining up with the school quarters. So uh, we'll finish up this quarter with a study on uh, the Bible, and whether how trustworthy is the Bible. It'll be about six weeks there to end the quarter, and I think it'll be a good study. We're not going to get in-depth to anything and bore you to death, but we're going to look at some things about the Bible and the canon of Scripture, and can we trust it? Can we rely on it to be the truth of God? And so I think it'll be a wonderful study. And then uh, it looks like once in August we get to that uh, quarter, we'll start a study of the book of Mark. And I hope you'll uh, look forward to that. The book of Mark is a, uh, of course, one of the Gospels. And it's probably, the, it, it's one of the most concise, it is the most concise Gospel. And I think it's one of the best Gospels to use when you're studying with someone to try to see, help them understand Jesus and who he was and what he was all about and what he did for us. Uh, it's very concise, very uh, to the point, And I think it'll be a great study. And maybe it'll, it'll be good to help you when you're thinking about speaking with someone about your faith and your testimony and uh, how you might deal with that. So we'll be going with that. But today we're going to be continuing with our study of angels. And by the way, in honor of Father's Day, a couple of dad jokes. Did you hear about the restaurant that was on the moon? Did you hear about the restaurant that they set up on the moon? You didn't hear about that? The food was great, but there was no atmosphere. Uh, what do you call a cow that doesn't moo a milk dud <laughs> all right dad like i said dad jokes for father's day all right you can slap me afterwards all right if you will be opening up your bibles to the book of acts we'll be getting into uh some thoughts about angels you know we've been studying how angels are ministering spirits uh to those who are uh, who are looking to obtain salvation. That's Hebrews 1 and verse 13 and 14. And we've looked at people in the Old Testament, how angels dealt with the people of God in the Old Testament. And we also looked at how, last week, about how angels dealt with Jesus and the ministry that he had and how they ministered to him in the flesh. And we also looked at how they continue to do that in heaven, right? He is now in heaven, reigning in his kingdom, sitting at the right hand of God. And we are part of that, the church being the part of the kingdom of heaven on earth, as we've studied and we understand. Well, what, today we're going to look at the question, and this is a question that obviously I'm sure we've thought about, you've probably thought about it in your lifetime, is do angels actually minister to Christians today? Do they actually help us? Do they provide anything for us? Do they do anything for us? And if so, how, how, does, that, how does that happen? Christians have good reason to wonder, right? Titus 3.7 says, By God's grace we have become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a glorious promise we have, right? What a glorious statement that God made through Abraham and his descendants that he would make a great nation and through him the Messiah would come. And we know that Messiah to be Jesus Christ. Who died for us, shed his blood that we might have a hope of eternal life, right? Hebrews 1, as I said, the the men, angels are here to minister to those who will inherit salvation. So, do we have angels that help us today? Are they involved in our lives at all? Well, let's look back at a few examples that occurred in the New Testament. Turn over to Acts chapter 5. And we're going to read a few examples of how angels help those 
particularly in the first century New Testament church. Acts chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 17. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders <coughs> were being done. Am I out of Yeah, let me check fine. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. I'm actually reading from verse 12 here, sorry. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Now wouldn't you think, if you were a member of the Sanhedrin, and the people that you put in prison all of a sudden were in the temple the next day. Something funky was going on. Yet they were so blinded by their rage because they were affecting their power, right? They were taking the people away from them. So it's interesting how the angel was able to come and release them. Look over there in chapter 12. Let's see what else is going on with angels in the first century. This is... Uh, Another example of the angels working with the apostles. Verse 7, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shined on the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate, that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Another example, angel working, providing an escape. Love how it talks about that gate just opening on its own. Interesting, right? working with Peter. What else were they involved in? Well, not only were they helping the apostles to get out of prison, they're also helping with the conversion of people who are believers. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Let's read a passage from there. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. He says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, or Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and, read him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? He asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, 
And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, whom does this prophet say this of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Here we have the example, right, of the Ethiopian eunuch being converted with the help of an angel. An angel telling Philip, go to preach to the eunuch. He's passing by. He's reading. He's wondering. He's questioning, what's this all about? Philip gives him the answer, right? If you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. Came up, went out of the water, came up out of the water, just like Romans 6 says, buried with him in baptism, a raised to newness of life. Angels involved. Look over there in Acts chapter 10. Let's read another example of someone being converted. Verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1. Now, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. He's a good man, all right? But is he saved? About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is beside the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Hmm. Remember, he's praying. He's a good man. But he's still got to do something. He's still got to know about something. The angel is involved there. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew out into the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending on him to let down to the earth. And it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. The voice came, spoke to him again a second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up to heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and they called and asked whether Simon whose surname was Peter was lodging there and while Peter thought about the vision the spirit said to him, behold there are men seeking you arise therefore go down with them doubting nothing for I have sent them going forward there and the following day they entered Caesarea now Cornelius this is verse 24 and Cornelius was waiting for them and they called together his brothers and close friends 
Peter was coming in. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. And he talked with them. He went and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, For what reason have you sent for me? At this point, Peter is still wondering what he's supposed to be doing. Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, wait a minute, a man stood before him in bright clothing. Again, we have the reference to the angel, right? He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he'll speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are present before God to hear all the things commanded by you, commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In every nation, whoever fears and works righteousness accepted by him the word which God sent to the children, preaching peace to Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all, that you may know, which was proclaimed through all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed and hanging on a tree. And God, him God, raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God. And even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be a judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive a remission of sins. And we know the rest of the story. As he continued to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and those in his household. They began to speak in tongues, proving to Peter and those who were with him that the gospel was for the Gentiles as well as the Jews, right? Angels involved, right? Here we have another example of a conversion. Angels are being part of that conversion process, bringing men and women to the Lord. What else were they uh, doing in the first century? Turn over to Acts chapter 12. Let's read a little more. Acts chapter 12, verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord. I keep hearing that one accord thing. That's a joke too, isn't it? Anyway, that's another story. And having made Blastus, the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel. I want you to get this picture. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. In other words, he got up and gave a speech. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Can you imagine that picture? Guess what happens next? And then immediately, the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Here we have King Herod sitting in front of the people with all his royal clothing and so forth, promoting himself, wanting the people to see his glory, how great he is, basking in the Announcements being made by those who are in the crowd, right? Never giving anything to God. Angel was involved there. Judgment. Judgment occurs. Uh, 
he didn't give God the glory. Therefore, an angel was involved in striking him dead. Well, what else did the angels do? Turn over to Acts chapter 27. Now let's read a few more verses. Acts 27, and let's begin in verse uh, 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred the disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Remember, Paul and those on the ship were wrecked. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all this who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Paul's shipwrecked there. He's telling the men that's with him. Obviously, these are not necessarily Christians, as far as we can tell. Looks like they're probably Gentiles for the most part, because he's been taken in the ship with them. And he's telling them, an angel's told me, was with me. None of you are going to die. Be assured. So we have an example of an angel reassuring Paul. There is a plan. You have to go see Caesar. You've got to go to Rome. So you're not going to die in this shipwreck. There is a plan. Because of that, he was saved and those who were with him. So we have angels involved in a lot of things, right? We have angels helping the apostles get out of prison physically, helping them in the conversion of those who were believers, reassuring Paul and, and the other apostles when they're preaching the gospel, passing judgment on Herod. There's a lot going on there involving angels. What else are they doing? Well, let's turn over to the book of Revelation and see if we can glean something from Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. We all know this is Apostle John's on the island of Patmos. Verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. We have a whole book here of revelation, of things to come, the future. What's going to happen to those who believe delivered by an angel of the Lord. Doesn't give a name but an angel delivered. Turn over to chapter 5. Let's read what else is going on with the angels. Revelation 5 verse 1 And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who was worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look to it. Got angels there dealing with those who believe by the throne of God. Romans 8. I mean, I'm sorry, Revelation 8. Verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it 
with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Another example of the angels working with those who believe, the saints in heaven with God, preparing the incense and so forth. So we have, going on to Revelation 16, uh, we have angels involved in the bowls of wrath, pouring out the bowls of wrath on those who are being judged. Many references to angels, many references to angels in Revelation. Uh, their ministry was there, particularly in the first century, to help the gospel be spread, right? The church to be established, the workings of those apostles and disciples and those who believe, right? All that is very necessary to get things going. But I know you still have the question, well, does that mean angels are working in our lives today? Interesting question, right? Angels and Christians today. Well, let's look over to Luke chapter 15 and read something from there. See if we can get a little insight on this question. Luke chapter 15 and verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Hmm. So the Lord's saying, Whenever somebody comes to believe and comes a child of God, the angels in heaven rejoice about it. And we've already been talking about that great multitude, that heavenly host, right? The great sound of what that's like. Can you imagine what that must be like when someone repents and comes to the Lord? It's got to be fabulous. It's got to be something that we can't even comprehend in the flesh. But it must be something that's tremendous. Another example of how angels might be working in our lives today, turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Let's read a verse there. Matthew chapter 18. And let's start with verse uh, 6. This is, this is, I want to get the whole context here. It says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to the man by whom the offenses come. You better be careful about your example, right? About what you're preaching. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Side note, those who say that Jesus would be okay with things that are going on today, like homosexuality and things, just show them Matthew 18, verse 6 through about uh, 9. Have them read that. See what they think then. Anyways, I digress. Verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Wait a minute. What did I just read there? Let me read that verse 10 again. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Whose angels? The little ones. Hmm. Does that mean little ones have guardian angels? 
Well, we can't be certain of that, but I do have in your outline, you have this actually. I'll read a couple of uh, opinions from commentaries, right? A little sample of who uh, options regarding guardian angels. This is from McGarvey. McGarvey was a contemporary of Alexander Campbell. He actually studied under him at Bethany College. At Campbell started in West Virginia, or was Virginia then. It says, disclosing the fact that the ministration of angels is not only general but special. Certain angels being entrusted with the care of certain individuals, and all of them supplementing their own wisdom and power by direct access to the presence of God. Apparently, McGarvey thought so, that we have guardian angels. At least the little ones do. Here's B.W. Johnson from his commentary. The doctrine of guardian angels is emphatically taught in Scripture. Who can afford to despise the children who have representatives right at the throne of God? Clark's commentary. Our Lord here not only alludes to, but in my opinion establishes a notion received by almost all nations that every person has a guardian angel and that these have always access, and these have always access to God to receive orders relative to the management of their charge. Then down, there's the last one here, a difficult verse, but perhaps the following may be more than an illustration. Among men, those who nurse and rear the royal children, however humble in themselves, are allowed free entrance with their charge and a degree of familiarity which even the highest state ministers dare not assume. Probably our Lord means that in virtue of their charge over his disciples, the angels have errands to the throne. They welcome there in a dear, dear familiarity in dealing with his Father which is in heaven, which is on their matters they cannot assume. In other words, he's saying that the angels are at work in those believers' children's lives. Not necessarily that each child has a guardian angel, but they do have access to the Father for those who are believing, which we already read in Hebrews 1. We have angels that are ministering to those who are seeking to obtain salvation. So, good question. I don't know for sure if we have a guardian angel assigned to us. I know that's a lot of stuff that you've read about that in the movies or in literature. That verse kind of makes it sound like there might be, right? It's taken for the little ones. But we can't say for sure. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm sure you have. So what you're saying is whether that's actually a guardian angel or not, angels are involved in our protection as believers. And that's very true. Hebrews 1 says that. They are ministering spirits, helping those who are seeking an inherent salvation. Yep, exactly. Another example, I think, is when Christ was tempted, right? And he says, you know, you can call down multitudes of angels, you know, if you wanted to. And, of course, after his temptation, he was comforted by angels. They were there to protect. Couldn't, he, 
could Jesus have sinned? Well, he was tempted. He said, well, he was God, but he was in the flesh. So yes, I believe he could have sinned. He had the choice to do it. He chose not to, but he had angels there to help him at the end. And I think in that same sense, and, and, and kind of like what Kurt's saying, we will never be tempted more than what we can handle, and that's very true. Whether that's angels that can help us in that respect, I don't know for sure, but I, think, I know they exist. I know they are at work in the things we just studied, salvation, judgment. So whether we have a guardian angel or not, I don't know. It's a neat little question, right? If you want to believe it, I have no problem with it. But it is a question. Yes, sir. Yeah, whether, whether you want to say that every person has their own guardian angel or not, that's fine, but we do have angels helping us. That is true. Very scriptural. All right. And that's the point I want to get there. I don't want to get into a big controversy whether we have a guardian angel. You know, we've already talked about how angels, there's no example of angels having wings other than the cherubim and the seraphim. There's no examples of angels having halos and, and shining bright. They came to appear to those who are helping as men. They looked like men. Right? So, I guess the point I want to make is don't get carried away with it, but we have angels working with us. Yes, ma'am. Good point. We don't want to place angels above God. And that's a great segue into my next point, actually. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, what else do they do for us, or what part of Well, they are agents of God's providence. And just like Debbie just said, we can't put them above God. Angels can do nothing without God. They're not greater than God. They're not some kind of su superstar beings. They were created by God. They are there to do his will. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get to that. Uh, in a second, because that yeah, the very scripture you're talking about, I'm going to read it here in a second. But in, yeah, so turn over to Romans real quick, and let's look at a, ver a couple verses there. Romans one. <coughs> and uh, Romans one, and let's begin in verse eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you that all your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He's talking to those Christians in Rome. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request that by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God 
to come to you. So here we have Paul praying that he can come to those who are in Rome. Paul's prayer is to visit Rome. And we know God answered that prayer, right? And we already read that he, the angel is telling him that he's going to go before Caesar. So we know that prayer is going to be answered. We know the angel is involved, there's an angel involved with that, at least one, and probably more, in ways that are not necessarily miraculous, but working nonetheless, right? They also did things in the affairs of nations. You remember the book of Daniel? We studied it maybe three, two or three years ago. You remember the vision of the statue? And the different parts of the statue were made of different things. And the interpretation was made that these were the great kingdoms that were going to rise up. And you can match it exactly to the way history played out, right? And, of course, the last one being the feet, which represents, which cannot be broken by a rock, which represents the kingdom of heaven, which will last forever. So we have all that. And, of course, in Revelation. Another thing they're going to do, and I think this is very scriptural, is turn over to Luke chapter 16. Something else to kind of maybe encourage you a little bit. Luke chapter 16. And this is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, but some scholars will tell you this is not a parable. This is a real happening. I'm not one way or the other on that, but let's read it. Verse 19. There was a rich, certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And we know the rest of it, where he asked Lazarus to give him a drink. Cool his tongue, right? The angels took Lazarus to heaven. Like that's very scripture. Angel will go and be involved with that. Just another glorious sight to look forward to, right? Can you imagine being carried by angels to heaven? Pretty interesting concept, right? Also, one more thing they're gonna they we can see they're doing or going to be doing and will be doing. Turn over to Revelation 21 real quickly. And uh this this beginning in verse uh nine there it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three of these gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Apparently, with the vision that John is seeing, he sees angels guarding the gates of heaven. And the gates are always open. In other words, Satan and his cohorts will not be able to enter. Angels are guarding it just like they guarded, well, the cherubim guarded the Garden of Eden when Adam was cast out. Another interesting thing that we can read about angels. Angels are working in your life. Whether you believe it or not, they are. And if you're a believer, you should 
believe it. You should understand it. You should know that angels are in your lives. Yeah, you don't see them. We don't see them like we do in the first century. But they're part of our, they're part of God's plan, right? They're part of our ministry. They're there to help us when we're in service to God. Hebrews 1.14, it's a great verse to remember. They are ministering spirits for those who inherit salvation. The visible activity angels has come to an end because their mediating work is done. Christ, this is in your outline, by the way. Christ has founded the kingdom of the Spirit, and God's Spirit speaks directly to the spirit of man. So this new and living way has been opened to us by Jesus Christ, upon whom faith can yet behold the angels of God ascending and descending. Still they watch the lot of man and rejoice in salvation. Still they join in the praise of adoration of God, the Lord of hosts. Still they can be regarded as ministering spirits sent forth for service. In other words, first century we had angels being involved in that process. We had miraculous events. We had the apostles being able to uh, do miracles through the Spirit. <clears throat> and that kind of went, that went away as we got the canon of Scripture, right? The Word of God was written down for us. We have all we need in the Scripture. We don't have to have an angel appear before us and tell us what we're going to do or this or that or helping us escape from prison or whatever. It doesn't mean they're not at work in our lives. We don't have the miraculous speaking in tongues or the miraculous healing of the sick or the miraculous raising someone from the dead like they did in the first century because that's not needed anymore. We don't need those signs. We have examples of them. We can read them. But that does not mean God doesn't have providence in your life. And that does not mean God does not provide a way for you to live your life. We don't have the, you know, examples of miracles today, but that don't mean he can't do what needs to be done. So don't let me, don't, don't think I'm belittling his authority or anything by that, but that's not needed anymore. We can read about that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, how when the perfect came, when the canon was complete, we now see clearly, and we have all we need unto salvation. All right. I hope this has been a good study for you. And uh, I think it's, it's always interesting to read about these things, and we have questions all the time, right? Maybe now you can answer that question when you have a grandchild that wants to know about, do angels have wings? All right. Thanks for being here.